Gospel according to John chapter 4. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Samaritan woman, help a tired brother out and give me a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Sir, Give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. All right. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you are with now, he is not number six. So you've told the truth. Sir, I, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. For God seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that the Messiah is coming, who, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went back to the city, and she said to the people, Come, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Receive what the Spirit is saying 
Thanks be to God. Will you do me a favor? Turn to your neighbor and say, daylight savings time is of the devil. (laughs) You will get a total different sermon this time. I'm just saying. (laughs) Totally different. I'm more awake. I've been working on... uh, Strengthening my yoga practice this Lent. It was something that I wanted to do for Lent. And I have a very patient and gentle instructor who knows that I struggle with the yoga thing and starts all our classes with this guided meditation at least 20 minutes, which is a lot, right? I mean, you usually like go in 45-minute class, be done. But no, she takes her time, which is nice. What she wants us to do is to, um, she believes that if we visualize our practice, we can engage our practice even better and even some of those difficult poses that we have to do. And I keep reminding her, no matter how many times I visualize myself doing that inversion, it's not going to (laughs) happen. She often quotes Rumi, the Sufi poet, to center us. And one of her quotes that she brought out from Rumi said, you cannot get water out of an empty well. If you are empty, you must find ways to fill up your well, the well of your heart, soul, and mind, so that not only you find drink, but you can provide drink for others. Our gospel reading today finds none other than Jesus looking for water. The Exodus passage, did you notice? The people grumbled to God looking for water. In the gospel passage, John puts Jesus in the place of the people looking for water. Now, you know, in the text it says that it is necessary, it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. But the truth is that in that first century context, most Jews would not have gone through Samaria to get to Galilee. Even if it was a shortcut, They would not have done that. Why? Because there was enmity between the Samaritans and the Jews. They believed that it was, they they believed in doing everything necessary to avoid going through Samaria so as not to encounter 
those people. Kind of like the, when they built the highway system in this country. You should read about that. But the phrase, it is necessary, in the, in the, in the text is really the verb dei, which is the same word that is used to describe God's will. So in other words, it would read this way, it was God's will for Jesus to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. I believe sometimes there are some places that God puts you in. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm just talking about maybe uncomfortable things for you and I. Places where we need to engage each other. Conversations that may be difficult but necessary. Discussions that may be uncomfortable for you and I, but we must engage in. It is necessary in order to get to where we're going. Now in this story, as we saw and heard, Jesus approaches the well, finds this well, finds this woman who sees this woman who is at the well and says to her, give me something to drink. I don't know if he said, help a brother out, but he did say, give me something to drink. Now, either Jesus was showing us his full humanity and his full vulnerability or that is the worst pickup line in the history of pickup lines. I think we're talking about Jesus' humanity. I think we're talking about that it's noon, it's a hot region of the world, and he and his disciples have been traveling all day, and they are genuinely, or at least he is genuinely thirsty, and they're hungry. The disciples have gone off to get something to eat. And he says to her, give me something to drink. Give me water. And you saw the whole exchange, and so... Here's the thing. There are some clues in this scripture passage that kind of dispel what we have projected onto this woman. So over the centuries, everybody teaches this text, or a lot of people teach this text about how sinful this woman was because later we discover that she had five husbands. But in this text, she's a pretty strong character. In fact, as I was um, working with the people who were going to read, I said, you know, she's sassy. She's got something. And she says, you don't even have a bucket. And why are you talking to me? 
you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to talk to each other. It's like she, she knew who she was. Jesus challenges her by asking her to go call her husband as he demonstrates that there must be something, he, he, he demonstrates that he must be a prophet to her, and so he says, Go call your husband. Maybe out of a sense of propriety, you know, first century rules were different. Not only was he not supposed to be talking to her because she was a Samaritan, not only was he not supposed to be in that place, he had already crossed two borders. But here he was talking to her alone, which was a no-no because it would have been seen as though he was trying to solicit her. But she says, I have no husband, and we go into this whole thing, right, you're right. You have no husband. In fact, you've had five, and the one that you're with is not your husband. Now, on the surface, that reads pretty judgmental. Like Jesus is spilling the tea that doesn't need to be spilled. <laughs> but I learned once from a, a theologian who, be, who was a large animal veterinarian to read scripture a different way. She says, well, as veterinarians, when I rub my hand against a horse or, or a, a, a cow, I don't rub my hand with the hair, with the grain of the hair. I run it against the grain. Because that's where you can tell where the bumps and the bruises and the stuff is. She says, you have to read scripture against the grain. You have to find out the context of scripture because a text out of context, is a pretext to create any argument you want to create. So, what do we know about first century living in, 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 for a woman in those times? We know that they were property. We know that a woman was handed down from brother to brother we read that in the story of Ruth and Naomi. We know that the law of Moses had in it a provision that they could write a letter and say, I didn't like the way my eggs were made today, so you could take her back. And many women found themselves in a difficult situation in their community. In fact, if you read the Gospels, Jesus said more about divorce and adultery than anything else. And I think it's because Jesus was really concerned about the state of women in that time. Women and children. 
the two people that Jesus paid attention to that were really on the margins. So what if, instead of reading this text this way, the way tradition has taught us to kind of fill the narrative, even if we don't know the full story, What if this is a story about a woman who's experienced pain not once, not twice, but five times? What if this story is about a broken relationship that's happened not once, not twice, not five times? Let me tell you something. Relationships are hard. And we know, we all know, I mean, I love reading these stories about people who meet when they're like in high school and they get married and forever and ever and ever. And I I love that. It's beautiful. The truth is, it's never happened to me. (laughs) And I venture to say that I'm not alone. That there's a lot of us that come to this well full of pain and shame and some brokenness. And even with our pain and our shame and our brokenness, we approach this well and we find someone who actually asks us, give me some water. Someone who sees me, someone who knows me, someone who knows and speaks life into my story. The story that wants to be lifted up. And not the narrative that I've been carrying around in my bucket. Jesus, this conversation keeps going. Now, here's another clue that this woman is not who we've always been told. The moment she tells, he tells her about all this stuff, she says, oh, I see you're a prophet. I love her sa- I love her sassiness. I see you're a prophet. Maybe maybe I'm in, I'm projecting a lot of my Puerto Ricanness in, into the reading. That's what it is. I love you. No. Uh, I see you're a prophet. Okay. Uh, and so tell me this. Where are we supposed to be worshiping? Because you all say that we're supposed to be worshiping in Jerusalem, and we say here, so what's the truth? This woman engages in a theological discourse with Jesus that none of the disciples could even handle. They're out in McDonald's somewhere, and she is having conversation with Jesus about what is true worship. Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? What does it mean for us to be in community with one another. 
What does it mean to enter into this space that we call worship, this hour that we call worship, and really be engaged in spirit and in truth? It means that what we sing today, we live on Monday. That what we're about today translates in the way we relate to one another. Jesus says there will come a time when you won't worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. That you will come together because true worshipers seek community. Beloved community. True worshipers really seek to be in conversation with one another about where it hurts for you and where it hurts for me, about how you're thirsty and how I'm thirsty. True worshipers seek to understand each other. See, this story is not about this woman or her five husbands. That's what we think it is. Oh, she repented and she left her. Nobody said that. Nobody said that. Here's a third clue. You know, in the scripture, it says that she went, she told the whole village, and the whole village came and followed her. Now, if she was such a bad reputation, why would the whole village follow her? You see how you have to read against the grain? Why would anybody say, yes, I'll follow you. You stole my husband. I'm going to follow you. (laughs) Why would anybody say that, right? The village followed her because she had something to say. And Jesus saw the dignity, the humanity of her story. That if we're honest with each other, We're thirsty about a lot of things. Thirsty about justice. Thirsty about some peace. Thirsty about the way we treat each other in this place and throughout our communities. Thirsty about changing the dynamics and even the policies that separate us. Thirsty. Best thing about this story is that Jesus says, woman, if you knew who it was, you would find living water. Not, woman, you're such a terrible person, confess it all. Not, woman, stop doing all the things that Samaritans do and be just like me. Not all of those things, just I will give you living water that satisfies you, period. You've been 
given a cup. I need a cup from somebody. Somebody got a cup. You probably thought, well, this is new. <laughs> Last week we got a rock. This week we have a cup. Pastor David said we were going to have some wine t- tasting at the end, but we're not. <laughs> but I want you to think about this as you hold your cup. Where have you been? What well have you been in? What has been filling up your empty cup? Now, you could fill it up with fear. You could fill it up with anxiety. You could fill it up with all kinds of preconceived notions about other people around you. Or you can ask Jesus to give you living water. Water that not only fills you up, but that provides drink for others who are just as thirsty as you and I. This week, as you pray, I pray that you will invite the Spirit to take you where it is necessary for you to go. Not where you think you should go, where it is necessary for you to go. Because I believe that every road we travel leads us to somewhere new.